listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the Alan Carter Program. Alan Carter is not here today. He is, uh, you know, biting his fingernails and polishing up his seat for uh, the Raptors' performance in Milwaukee. Uh, we'll be talking about that game one of that series. I don't know if people out there, I frankly haven't even recovered from game seven of the last series. I still have that sort of uh, glow uh, that that sort of my, my heart stopped uh, when, when the basketball hit the rim and went up and hung there for, I don't know, two or three years, I think. You're still uh, waiting, eh? And then, you know, between bounces... Uh, and then when it went through, it, it started beating again, but so fast and, and just with such energy that, and that it hasn't worn off yet. So I'm not ready to, to move on yet. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with me, I am a frequent voice in this slot, in this chair, uh, when Alan Carter is uh, otherwise engaged. Uh, and in my day job, I work as a columnist at the Toronto Star, where you can read my writing about the city and other topics. But the big news uh, this hour comes from uh, Ontario's highest appeal court, which has ruled that doctors must give referrals for services they oppose. This was uh, a big decision regarding specifically uh, abortion, uh, birth control, and and sort of end-of-life care, like assisted dying, uh, assisted suicide, uh, euthanasia, I guess, uh, in some cases. Uh, These are things that it is, uh, in some cases, very long established in Canada, are legal and available medical services, uh, not still without controversy, and not, of course, uh, without different moral implications for various people's consciences, including doctors. And now doctors had asked for, they had specifically protested, that in the case, in the case of medical procedures, that they had a, foral, for, uh, uh, a fundamental moral or religious objection to, such as abortion, such as assisted dying at, uh, at the end of life, uh, that they shouldn't be required... Now, the law doesn't require them to perform those procedures, and, and nobody's debating that, as far as I know. Uh, but th- they were saying that they shouldn't be required to refer patients to a different doctor who would perform the procedure. Uh, they, a court had found that, in fact, they did, they would be required by law to uh, refer those things. They appealed that. And just today, the appeal court has found uh, that, that doctors in Ontario are obligated to give referrals for medical services, even if they clash with their moral or religious beliefs. According to CBC News, and uh, the 74-page ruling released uh, just after 10.30 a.m. today, uh, sided with the earlier divisional court decision that upheld the referral requirement. Um, and what what the court found essentially is that there is an infringement on doctors' rights here, but that that infringement is sort of overruled. It's a, there's a larger concern about a patient's right to access specific kinds of medical care. And I I think I don't know I I know that there be lots of different opinions on this out there in the world, but I think uh, that they found the right balance here. I don't think anybody, a doctor or otherwise should be required 
um, to to directly involve themselves in things that they find morally objectionable. I don't think it should be a requirement of your job, especially in the kind of job like being a doctor where you swear oaths to try and do no harm, uh, to to uphold the things you believe in. Uh, I don't think you should be required to perform procedures that you find morally objectionable. Uh, but I do think that in cases where you have an objection, you can make that objection known. Uh, but your office, your staff, somebody who works for you, should provide a referral where a referral is needed to somebody else uh, who will perform that procedure. And I and I think um, that, that, you know, we have a secular... Uh, system here, a uh, government system, and and the quasi-governmental rules that that apply to things like healthcare, uh, for example, and and how our justice system works, access to justice, access to healthcare, and all of those things. And so, I think um, there needs to be an element of neutrality uh, to to how you navigate in that system. And so, you you can. Have your own beliefs. You can live your life according to those beliefs, but you need to uh, allow people to network to a different part of the system if they don't share those beliefs. And that seems to be what the appeal courts found. That seems to be the current state of our law. Um, you know, there, there's this goes in uh, with with a uh, sort of like a grab bag, uh, in many ways depressing grab bag of of news items that have been around lately that have to do. Uh, the touch on in many ways, like especially women's reproductive health and women's uh, the reproductive organs and whatnot. And this is encouraging news, I think, out of Ontario that this court has upheld this. Another piece of encouraging news uh, across Canada that we heard earlier in this month, you know, in the first week of May, uh, f- came from the Globe and Mail here where Andre Picard uh, reported that the government of Canada... Uh, had published their intention to change the laws. Right now, the laws require employers to provide for their workers in the workplace, at no cost to the worker, toilet paper, warm water, soap, and a way to dry their hands, right? These are basic elements of personal hygiene uh, and any worker who's at work who expects to use the facilities will also expect their employer to provide these necessities of using the facilities. Uh, but what they don't require right now is tampons or pads. And for fully half, if if I'm remembering the statistics right, slightly more than half, actually, of the Canadian population, uh, you know, menstruation is another one of those unavoidable uh, elements of using the facilities uh, that comes up frequently, once a month, like like clockwork. You can you can chart it on a calendar, and people do. Uh, and and yet we've we we don't require employees to bring their own toilet paper to work, but we do currently require women to bring their own pads or tampons. It seems. Like an oversight in the law, a holdover maybe from the days when when our lawmakers in their uh, backwards wisdom of, of yesteryear did not expect women to be in the workplace, and so you just wouldn't have any provision for that. Uh, but it's, it seems like it's about time that it got cor- corrected. That's two, two sort of decent pieces of legal news out of, uh, out of Canada 
uh, on this sort of personal, general, reproductive organs front. And that comes at the same time that we get really sort of a move in a different direction out of the United States. The Alabama Senate voted this week in favor of a near-total ban on abortion. If it's signed into law by the governor of Alabama, it will be the most restrictive abortion law in the United States. It basically bans almost all abortions, including in cases of rape and incest. Uh, And so this is going now to the Republican governor uh, over strong, strong objections from from many in the United States, including the uh, Democratic minority leader, who we have some audio of him reacting to this. It's a sad day in Alabama, man. I feel like crying for real. I really do. But I'm going to hold my tears back. Because what you just said to my little girl, that it's okay for a man to rape you, and you got to have his baby if you get pregnant. You just said to my little girl, you just said to my daughter, you don't matter. And Louise, let's go a little bit quickly here to the, uh, I have read that this is essentially just uh, rube bait, right? That they're passing this knowing that it's going to be struck down in the courts, but that the Republican base eats this stuff up. And sort of going into an election next year before it gets a chance to work its way through the courts, uh, you know, this becomes a live issue. They get to debate it. The Republican base gets all worked up. And we, we have a, a little clip here from one of the bill's sponsors, one of the Republicans, Terry Collins, uh, talking about this and, and maybe hinting that that is part of their intention. This bill's purpose is to hopefully get to the Supreme Court and have them revisit the actual decision, which was, is the baby in a womb a person? So, there you go. Uh, Backwards, in my view, news out of Alabama, which seems intentionally uh, designed just to get the Supreme Court to revisit this, which, not so coincidentally, makes it a public issue, a public talking point, again, just as the United States goes into elections. It's time for us to go into a break. Uh, And when we come back, uh, we are going to have... Something very special for you, a very rare thing here on the Alan Carter Show, an appearance by Alan Carter. Welcome back to the Alan Carter Show. My name is Ed Keenan. I'm with you here on a on a very, very special day here in Toronto. I don't know if you can feel the energy wherever you are. I don't know if you've booked your seats at the sports bar or, uh, you know, polished up the remote control, stocked the fridge full of beer, uh, but not Biller beer uh, because it's Raptors time again, folks. It's it's round three. 
the the Eastern Conference semifinal, uh, the, the Eastern Conference final, <laughs> final. Uh, I'm just not used to it. I'm not used to to being this close. The Eastern Conference final kicks off tonight. Uh, tip off is at 8:30 p.m. in Milwaukee, and uh, you know who else is in Milwaukee? Alan Carter. Welcome, welcome to your program, Alan. Are you are you keeping things safe there? Please don't burn the house down while I'm away. <laughs> I I am uh, trying to to you wouldn't believe what the, the kids get up to here when you're gone. Oh, I know. Uh, but I'm it's trying nothing to... but nothing but youngsters that work there. They need to be uh, scolded regularly. Yeah, but they're they're not uh, playing with matches. They are like me, super excited. I I understand. So. Uh, You're in Milwaukee preparing for the Raptors game uh, on our behalf, Uh, but I I understand you had a run-in with some other broadcasters from Milwaukee there this morning. Yeah, you may have heard in the news that there's a local sort of top 40 radio station that has made a big deal out of the fact that they're not going to play any Drake. They have a ban on Drake music for the duration. (laughs) Oh, well. Uh, So I just showed up at their radio station this morning and knocked on the door, and they let me in, and I just explained to them the glory of the drizzy and the fact that we're coming to town to burn this place down basketball. (laughs) (laughs) They they got a ban on Drake. Um, Of course, uh, you you know, Lenny and Squiggy uh, and Fonzie and Ralph Malfe are kind of the most famous, uh, you know, Milwaukee pop culture products. Uh, Kiss FM, the hit, one of the hit radio stations here in Toronto, uh, today said that they were going to uh, ban Steve Miller uh, until. But of course, he's that. That's the most current, biggest Milwaukee superstar they could find. <laughs> well, you might as well. I mean, I, you know what? I'm fine if I never hear any Steve Miller again. <laughs> But don't take away my violent fans. I need my violent fans. That's true. The, the violent fans, uh, I, I could take a small break from them, but I'd be punishing myself. So maybe I'll just listen to the violent fans while watching the Raptors defeat the Bucks. Um, moving to the, to the games, though, that, that's going to be a bit of a tall order for the Raptors today. Yeah, listen, there's no question about it that it, this is a tough series. I, I'm calling Raps in seven, and I think anybody that thinks it's going to be a cakewalk for the Raptors uh, is dreaming. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a monster. We have our own monster, of course, in Kawhi Leonard. The question is going to be, if we, those two guys cancel each other out, what bench is going to be better? And here in Milwaukee, I can tell you they are extremely confident. They think they're on their way to the finals. Uh, I would, you know, I beg to differ, obviously, but it's going to be a tough, tough series. Yeah, I mean, Milwaukee has had a really strong bench. There are players who come in as substitutes. I mean, and they, they came up with the nickname Bench Mob, uh, which, which sounds a little... Um, uh, familiar for those of us here in Toronto, but I mean, it, every, everybody who's been paying even a little bit of attention knows Kawhi Leonard has been almost sort of supernatural, superhuman in these playoffs. But the the Raptors are going to need to rally around him because he hasn't had the kind of support that maybe we were expecting going into the playoffs. No, you're absolutely right, Eddie. I mean, I mean, if you watch much of that '76ers uh, series, you were probably screaming at the TV like me, like just hit those open jumpers, those open looks, time and time again. The Raptors missing open looks, and I'll tell you, in the playoffs, especially in the conference finals, you cannot do that. You cannot do that very much, or you're going to go home. All right, Alan Carter in Milwaukee, uh, cheering on the Raps on our behalf. Have a pretzel for us. 
Enjoy the violent femmes and enjoy the game. Yeah, it's all sausages and cheese here. Ed. Sausages gonna, and cheese, okay. I'm going to come home like 30 pounds heavier. <laughs> Good. Bring some back for the kids. <laughs> Thanks, kids. Everybody behave while Ed's in charge now. <laughs> all right. Alan Carter, uh, dubious wisdom uh, put, putting Ed in charge, uh, but here I am. Uh, and there's, there's no easy way to segue from that. Uh, to to my next topic because I think uh, the Raptors is kind of round f- grounds for celebration, uh, whereas maybe the state of environmental policy, not just in Canada but worldwide, m- might be grounds for something else, like for for being committed or something. Um, there are it, it, you know in news on that. Uh, looking at the National Post today, competing motions. Competing motions on whether or not to declare a national climate emergency. One from the NDP, one from the Liberal government. Both are designed to expose the weakness of their rivals' plans. So maybe if uh, Bill Nye says the world's on fire, uh, and in the meantime, a little bit of uh, mutual digging at each other uh, among the sort of of left-of-center parties in Ottawa. Uh, Here to discuss that with us is the National Post's Mara Forrest. Mara, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. Um, So tell us about... There there are two competing motions uh, on whether to declare a national climate emergency. Do these two parties declare that it is some kind of emergency or uh, agree that there is some kind of emergency? Well, I think uh, in this case we're talking about uh, two motions from the NDP oh. and the Liberals, and I think that uh, yeah, both of those parties are, are, are making the case that this is a climate emergency. Um, of course, there's some political calculus that uh, is motivating both of these motions. Um, declaring a national climate emergency is something that we've seen um, a number of cities do around the world, including sorry, including in Canada, Um, but now we're seeing the federal government potentially about to declare a national climate emergency. It's kind of a symbolic gesture. It doesn't necessarily entail any particular uh, behavior, any particular um, uh, steps to fight climate change. But the reason I think we're seeing this from the NDP and the Liberals is they're both trying to sort of prove that they have credibility um, on addressing climate change and that uh, their rivals do not. (laughs) Political intrigue in Ottawa, you don't say. Um, it is it is one of those things though you mentioned that it's it's kind of symbolic would and I'm old enough to remember uh you know the parliament of canada declaring an emergency and saying that they would eliminate child poverty by year 2000 uh eliminate uh homelessness by you know 2010 or whatever it was um is there is there any effect that that this would have other than trying to show up their opponents um, not as such. I mean, I should say the NDP's motion um, entails some other points other than just saying Canada is in a national climate emergency. Um, they're also calling for an end to fossil fuel subsidies, something that the Liberals promised before the 2015 election but have not delivered on. Um, and they're also calling for the Trans Mountain Pipeline to be cancelled. Um 
this is unlikely to be supported by the Liberal government, of course. But those are the measures they've kind of wrapped into this um, motion. They're also calling for uh, more ambitious cuts to greenhouse gas emissions um, beyond what the government is committed to at the moment. Um, So that's sort of the content of their motion. The Liberal motion really doesn't um, include any particular measure. It's not binding. This is not legislation. Um, What they're doing is they're saying, here are all of the, uh, you know, here are all of the reasons why uh, we believe that Canada is in a national climate emergency. And because of this, we want to reiterate that we are committed to meeting our targets, our greenhouse gas emission targets under the Paris Agreement. Now, the reason they're doing this is because, well, one of the reasons they're doing this is because um, the Conservatives have yet to put out their own climate change plan. Um, and in recent interviews, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer has been reluctant to say whether or not the Conservatives will commit to meeting those Paris Agreement targets. So the Liberals with their motion are trying to sort of force the Conservatives' hand. They will have to decide whether or not to support this motion that says we commit to meeting the Paris Agreement targets. So that's kind of the political strategy that's at play here. But this does not entail any legislative change. It doesn't create any new uh, measures to, to fight climate change. All right. And all this sort of uh, jockeying for credibility uh, on the climate change file comes with a backdrop specifically in British Columbia, where there was a recent by-election that, that, um, that maybe turned to some extent on a liquefied national, natural gas project, right? That's right. So, yeah, sort of an interesting dynamic coming out of BC. We saw the Green Party win its its second seat um, on Vancouver Island last week, doubling the size of their caucus. And one of the issues that became a real hot-button issue in that by-election campaign was fracking. Um, and more specifically, there's a huge um, liquefied natural gas project uh, underway in BC, in northern BC, um, the BC NDP government supports it, and um, this became sort of a, a major kind of wedge issue in this by-election campaign. And the Greens campaigned by saying, we are the only party that opposes fracking. Um, the other parties, including the NDP, all support this. Uh, and that may well have played a role in uh, in their ultimate victory in that by-election. Um, so that is now... I think there's a few kind of dynamics here. It's obviously the fact that the Greens won another riding, I think, is giving is giving all the major political parties reason to think maybe we need to be uh, looking at this. You know, there's sort of a lot of rumors in Ottawa that the Greens are surging, that they're doing well. They've done well in various provincial elections. And I think it's kind of giving new... Um, uh, you know, new reason to feel that maybe there is actually a, a real movement here um, in the public, people wanting to see more action on climate change, people putting that as uh, one of the major issues that they're concerned about right now. Um, so that is creating a bit more incentive, I think, for the Liberals and the NDP, certainly, to be figuring out their own positions on environmental issues, on climate change, and to try and position themselves as the party uh, that is going to be credible that is going to get something done. All right. Mara Forrest, uh, contributor to the National Post, thanks for walking us through the, uh, the, the latest sort of jockeying on the climate file as, as this heats up as we head into an election here. Thanks, Mara. My pleasure. 
Okay. Uh, it's almost time for us to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk about, I don't know if you've seen this video. It's been going around uh, since the OPP tweeted it out, and they're asking, who would do this? Uh, and what it is, is it's, it's a car trying to pass another car in the carpool lane on, on Highway 410 near Brampton. Uh, and he, he drives into this sort of the expanded median between the, the passing lane of the 410 and the carpool lane of the 410 and just sideswipes the car that's in the, in the lane, which of course then, you know, wipes out, spins out, and it takes off. First of all, who, who would try to pass in the tiny median between two cars? But then who would take off after that kind of accident? And it, most of us also recognize not just a legal responsibility, but a responsibility not to be a jerk. Step out the car like, wow, everybody looking when I come around. Swag so me when I walk by. One glance, take a pretty thing, bye-bye. I'm a player, not a pimp. I walk with a limp just to be old school when I roll through. I mean, damn, I'm a fool, but I do bring game for a fact. I don't be Riggs, told you how to live in that poetic style. If you need me, baby, hit the speed dial. I'll be there in a minute to come kick it. No, you gotta feel good for a while. Listen, make stacks so we can go and spend them. You're the star, you deserve the attention. I'm gonna give it to you like that every day. All me, no fake here to stay. So I, I have three kids, and we often, you know, they play baseball. We travel to tournaments around outside the city. We have uh, relatives who live outside the city. So I use the carpool lanes uh, in Ontario quite a bit. Uh, and one thing I've noticed about them is because of their location, uh, they're they're on the extreme left-hand side of of the highways that they're on. Uh, so, you know, you've got the, the entry lane, the, the sort of the regular middle lanes or lane, depending on which stretch you're on. Uh, you've got the passing lane. And then there's an extra wide sort of little median there. And then the carpool lane. So you enter it from the passing lane. And I like to think I'm a good driver, but also a considerate driver. But but one thing is that it's a carpool lane, it's not a passing lane. But because it's on the extreme left, what I find is that I'm often driving sort of with the flow of traffic. I don't want to get into the details, but I go a decent speed for highway driving, right? Uh, uh, and there'll be somebody flying up behind me at like 170 who slows down to my speed, rides right on the bumper. And now the thing when you're in the carpool lane is there's nowhere to go to get out of their way, right? It's like... We're here, we're driving at the speed limit or what the practical, actual speed limit of a normal highway is, but this isn't a passing lane where you can say to me, get out of the way. I'm not going to swerve off into the passing lane, you know, over the median. I can't even get out of your way until the next exit from the carpool lane. So we just got to drive at regular highway speed here and be thankful that we're not over there with the hoi polloi and the with people merging in and out and all of the heavy traffic, right? But uh, I also imagine that for those who like to, to break the law and speed at excessively high speeds, it's frustrating to have somebody in front of you who's going the speed limit or going 110 or 120, normal kind of highway speeds. Like, like me with feels, my minivan, right? With all my kids. Yeah. And it, I'm like, I have to speed up to 170 because you're <laughs> pissed off? Yeah, yeah. No. Come on, right? But Sergeant uh, Kerry Schmidt of the OPP tweeted a video today of somebody who apparently was in that kind of rage. They want this driver in front of them to either speed up or get the hell out of the way, but they're in the carpool lane. Uh, and so the driver, you know, just continues going whatever speed they're going. So in the video... Uh, which is very short. It's like 22 seconds long. Uh, I think we have it up at Global News website if you wanted to go and see it. Um, 
the the car behind uh you know you can almost see that the driver is frustrated just from the way they're driving but they they pull out across the extended wide median into the passing lane and then quickly pull back in and clip the car they're trying to pass which then sort of wobbles to the left tries to maintain control and then spins out 180 degrees so that's facing the oncoming traffic and the OPP officer sent out a tweet that kind of went viral saying who would do this and then and then the car the the, the car that was doing the passing here, the car that clipped the other car, caused this accident, just sped off. It's it's a hit and run. Uh, and it seems to me to be the height of, like, bad, aggressive, jerk driving behavior. Uh, OPP Traffic Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, who, who had tweeted this out, was on Kelly's show uh, earlier this morning. And so uh, let, this is what he had to say. I actually spoke to the driver of the, the victim uh, just uh, this morning, and he goes, yeah, I was doing 100, I was doing 110 probably. And uh, with the flow of traffic, and this car comes up, waits for maybe a second or two, and then cuts out hard into the ne- lane next to it, crossing the white solid lines, and then jams in front of the driver, he could easily have just passed him and accelerated by. It would have been illegal, but uh, he'd be gone. But now the guy goes, and he hit, hits the brakes, and he's kind of doing some sort of uh, making a statement. He's doing a little bit of uh, street justice, apparently, uh, for what he thinks he was wronged for, and the uh, suspect vehicle just takes off. He definitely knows what happened. He's looking in his mirror. Yeah, I'd like to get... Uh, uh, get my hands on this guy as well and try to get the story from him because this is completely ridiculous. I mean, and it, you know, as Kerry Schmidt was describing it there, I was watching too, and this isn't just a, a sort of a run-of-a-mill lane change gone wrong. As as he was describing, this looks intentional, right? Um, it, the pass itself is not just aggressive, it's not just sort of contrary to the Highway Traffic Act, but there there is a car in in the lane he pulls out into like right there he he's sort of straddling there's there doesn't appear to be room between the two cars traveling beside each other for him to fit but he kind of squeezes through pulls back in and then slows down and pulls over almost to intentionally run this guy off the road right and it looks like something from a movie where the bad guy uh you, you know catches up to somebody and tries to run them off the road which is like a heightened form of road rage, a really heightened form of road rage. Into the home stretch here on the Alan Carter Show on, on Raptors Day. Well, Alan Carter's in Milwaukee, Ed Keenan with you for another few minutes. And we've been talking about this video, uh, which shows a car uh, pulling out in, of the carpool lane uh, to the right, weaving between two cars, pulling back in, then slowing down and clipping the car he just passed, causing it to spin out and then taking off. He, I kind of understand the frustration of wanting to pass somebody and they won't get out of your way. But I don't understand doing this. And I especially don't understand it in a carpool lane, which is basically, it's not a passing lane. It's not a fast lane. It's a its a carpool lane. And we can see clearly from the video that the guy is going at the speed of traffic. There's a car beside him in the passing lane going the same speed. So it's not like he's crawling along like a snail. What I think is that we need to set the speed limits at the speed we actually expect people to go. And then let everybody know that this can be controlled by photo radar. So it's not some cash grab. It's actually trying to slow you down. But then put it out there and enforce it. it. Trucks are not allowed in the passing lane. So that's often the only sort of non-truck lane that's available. But, I mean, that's the lane where I think if you're driving and somebody is coming up faster than you behind you, you're supposed to get out of people's way, right? That's, you don't drive in the passing lane. 
You, you move on. But in the case of a carpool lane, man, oh, man. Man, oh, man, I'm out of time. Uh, I thank you. That was a quick hour, and I hope a pleasant one for you. I'll be back in tomorrow for Alan Carter because he's going to be recovering from the Raptors game tonight. This is Global News Radio. That was a nice move, man. <laughs>